I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, it's the first of two year-end specials. I'm Jeff Braun, and today we're taking a look at our favorite TV shows of 2017. Counting down our each of our top tens, and number ten on my list is The Last Man on Earth. Okay, so, uh, look, you be Jasper, I'll be you. So, uh, say something Jasper would say. I want a cookie. Well, you can't have a cookie, right? End of discussion. Now go to bed without brushing your teeth. Come on. Hey, but I want a cookie. Well, uh, I'm not going to say it again, all right? JK, here it comes. No cookies. But I really want to... No cookies! I said no cookies! Right! When I tell you what to do, you do it! Because I am the adult, and you are but a child! Will Forte's End of the World Survival sitcom is one of the loopiest shows on TV, but it's unlike anything you've ever seen, and you have no idea where it's going to go next. Now in its fourth season... Forte and the half dozen other survivors of the virus that killed every living thing on the planet have lived in Arizona, Malibu, an office building in Silicon Valley, a yacht, and now a drug cartel leader's sprawling mansion in Mexico. They've also had three children, seen other friends die in sometimes hilarious, but usually heartbreaking manner. One kill will be weird and crazy, like a guy who practices in a flying simulator all season long with the intent of going to find his true love in Japan, only to die on takeoff because simulator aside, he has no idea what he's doing. That's a good joke, a dark joke, a season-long joke, but a good joke. But then another guy will die because no one knows how to do surgery and they kill him trying. That was served as straight-up heartbreak to show that the stakes are actually high. It's a crazy show, and I'm always excited to find out what they'll do next. Coming in at number 10 for me from FX, Legion. I, I see things, okay? It's not real. It's my brain. That's the old narrative, son. To make you whole again. Could you maybe not break everything this time? I'm not gonna promise that. Okay. Why am I so important? We're at war and we're losing. And you may be the most powerful mutant alive. Legion is based upon characters in the X-Men universe of Marvel Comics, but this is not your typical superhero stuff. This is an art house comic book show. It's an acid trip. It's like someone dreamed about a superhero show and filmed that dream. It is insane and it is wonderful. It's about a guy who has believed for a long time he's schizophrenic. Turns out that's not the case. He's a mutant and a very powerful one at that. He's played by your buddy Jeff from Downton Abbey, Dan Stevens. Woo! It is colorful, creative, and brave, extremely bold with the way it tells its story, and it's just mesmerizing. Eight episode run for season one. Season two will likely debut in February of 2018. At number nine on my list, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I broke up with Bobby, and it was worse than I could have imagined. Oh no, he killed you and now you're a ghost? I don't want to make sexy pottery with you. Last night I saw Mikey going into his apartment with another man. Are you sure the other guy was gay? Everybody's gay, Kimmy, it's the 90s. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is on Netflix. It comes out in the spring. By the end of the year, I forget anything specific about it other than I laughed a lot all the way through it. If you've never seen it, you have time over the holidays to bin something. I recommend Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Three season in, it's firing on all cylinders, and even when some of the stories have misfires, the jokes come flying so fast and furious, you can overlook plot for laughs, no problem. Coming in at number nine for me... Survivor Game Changers, which was the 34th season of the show. 
It aired March through May this year. Season 35, Survivor Triple H, Heroes, Healers, Hustlers, just wrapped up this week on Global. And while that one's been okay, Season 34 was so, so good. If you're not familiar with Survivor, somehow, it's a reality show where a bunch of people get shipped off to some tropical location and they're split into tribe with only a handful of supplies that they have to survive. Not just whatever island that they're on, but they have to survive to the end of the game without getting voted out. It remains one of the most popular shows in Canada. It's still a top 20 performer in the US. And the Game Changers season produced more mind-blowing moments than any other season, including contestant Jeff Varner outing Zeke as transgender. What I'm showing is a deception. But that's personal. It, that, it has nothing to do with the game. Personal. Personal. You that didn't have so to do that. That is so wrong we for you on. to bring that up. I'm not using that, that as anything negative. That has nothing negative. to do with the game. That's personal. I'm not knocking him. That's not deception. You just... Yeah, that was just so to dirty, reveal Jeff. to whom that, he wanted. I argue for the rights of transgender people every day in the state of North Carolina. I would never say or do anything to hurt anyone here. In two seasons I've played Survivor, I've told nobody. That's how the whole season was. It was just one jaw-dropping moment after another. It was incredible television for a show I once abandoned and came back to, and I hope to never leave again. It wins all the awards every year, and while that can get a little boring and predictable, it's hard to argue it doesn't deserve them. At number eight on my list, Veep. Wow, I can't believe I'm gonna be a father. A lot of responsibility. You just signed away all responsibility. I've never done this before. Has it hurt? Oh, no, no Richard. It, no, but it how, how is that Wait, possible? Really? Well, my family and I are always pretty religious. Grandma Split always said that self-pleasure was a sin, like microwaves or laughter. Do you what? need a minute or? No, worse comes to worse, it burns hell like Grandma Split. Everyone, and I mean everyone on this show, kills it. You could spend all day arguing over whether Jonah or Richard, who we heard there, are the funniest. And then there are like eight other characters who would be the funniest on any other show on TV. It is that stacked. Of course, Julia Louis-Dreyfus earns every one of her Emmys as a hilariously narcissistic would-be president, Selena Myers. This season saw her forced to eat a lot of humble pie, which is the hardest thing she's ever had to do, which was a lot of fun for us to watch. And honestly, it's time to start considering JLD as the funniest woman in the history of television. Sorry, Lucy. Ooh, yeah. bold declaration from Jeff Braun. His number eight is a political comedy. My number eight, season two of the sci-fi show, The Expanse. Our job is to prevent a war with Earth. You ever wonder if we've got it backwards? Rasinante is ready to roll. Was third in command of a crappy ice hauler and now leading a space station assault. Who are we? It's a declaration of war. Millions could die. We are a goat. I ain't sitting this one out. The Expanse is based on a popular series of books, and I was drawn to it first because the first ad that I saw for it described it as Game of Thrones in space. And I think that's largely accurate. It's set a couple hundred years in the future. There are three factions of humans. There's the ones on Earth, the ones on Mars, and the ones who live in the belt, the asteroid belt beyond Mars. Someone is trying to start a war between all three using technology beyond our understanding and maybe from beyond our galaxy. There's mystery, there's political intrigue, espionage, and fantastic visual effects for a television show. And as it turns out, from what I understand, fairly accurate science. It's from the Sci-Fi Network in the US. It airs in Canada on space. You can watch the first two seasons on Crave TV, and season three will debut in early 2018.
Better Call Saul comes in number seven on my list. I'm willing to let bygones be bygones. And if you agree, I think we can settle all this right now with a simple handshake. Where's the poppy? If I had to do it all over again, I would do some things differently. Remember when they first announced Better Call Saul and we were all, ooh, I don't know, Breaking Bad was amazing and everything, but when is a spinoff ever a good idea? There's what, Frasier? That was good. Anything else? So Saul's been a great surprise from the jump. Like Breaking Bad, it only gets better as it goes along. The world and the characters get deeper and richer, and of course didn't hurt to bring Gus Fring into the fold this year. I also like that guy Nacho a lot, so it was nice to see him actually get some meteor stuff to play. Mostly though, I'm glad they resolved the stuff with Chuck this year, because that was getting on my nerves. Saul, like Frasier, will probably end up being one of the shows we take for granted in the end. It's always solid, if not brilliant, but I think it'll always sort of have to hang in the shadow of the show that spawned it. And I would like to add as well that Better Call Saul is uh, it's a couch potatoes uh, what do you want to call it? like a like a co-joint or something? Yeah. It's a double spud <laughs> thumbs up. I don't know what to call it. <laughs> yeah, this uh, show technically actually landed on both of our top tens, but we're shoehorning in some extra shows so we get a full 20, but yeah, I just, I adore Better Call Saul. Every frame of this television show is masterfully crafted. It's, uh, they re- you can tell that this is uh, made by a team of people who really care about the art oh, yeah. of TV. So yeah, highly recommended Better Call Saul, and up next, I'll tell you what my favorite, or my seventh favorite show of 2017 is. It comes from the History Channel. Give you those details up next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. It's one of our two year-end specials this week. We are counting down our top 20 television shows of 2017. At number seven for me, from the History Channel, which is a chorus network, Vikings. My father has returned. Perhaps he should not have come back. Your father's return brings calamity, chaos, tragedy, and death. I am not afraid. You should curse the day. This co-Canadian produced show has become one of the most critically acclaimed on television. It's inspired by the stories of Viking Ragnar Lothbrok, a legendary Norse hero and the scourge of England and France. It has beautiful cinematography, elaborate costumes and sets, crazy battle scenes with sometimes intense violence and gore. Some of the stuff I saw this uh, in season five, Jeff. I couldn't handle it, eh? (laughs) I could barely handle it. Yikes. So it's not for the squeamish, uh, but it also is a soapy family power struggle. You can catch up on Shaw Video On Demand, Season 5 currently airing Wednesday nights on History. Fargo used to come in number one or two on my list, but this year I'm ranking it number six. Hey, Donnie. Donnie, come in. Yeah. 
There was something about Fargo that just didn't really click this time. I don't know if the characters we were supposed to feel for the most, Chief Gloria Burgle, was just underwritten or didn't seemingly have as much at stake as Heroes in past seasons, or maybe it was simply the fact that it would be impossible to live up to the utter perfection that was Season 2, or if it was simply that now, by the third season, we have a better idea of what to expect. We're not surprised to be surprised. We figured it out. At any rate, there was something that kept Season 3 of Fargo from really flying, but even still, it was a terrific watch. Other characters like Nikki Swango, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and Varga, played by David Thewlis, made it a whole lot of fun. Heck, I even believed Ewan McGregor as a prairie boy. Well, two prairie boys, and I wouldn't have thought that going in. The Coen Brotherish twists and the visual look and dialogue always make Fargo one of the more interesting shows out there. So sort of a pat season for Fargo, but still good enough to earn a spot in the top ten. Coming in at number six for me. Last Tuesday, one show electrified the country like never before. Get in the car. We will fix it together. Season two of This Is Us already has more viewers than ever on an emotional ride of a lifetime. I'm sorry. I need you guys. <laughs> Don't miss the next chapter. We can do this. You and me, we can do anything. I know. Emmy winning This Is Us. NBC's This Is Us. It is an incredible family drama that consistently makes me and millions of other people cry on a weekly basis. Whether it's tears of joy, tears of sadness, just simply tears from being overwhelmed. Honestly, at this point, it's almost like Pavlov's dog. This Is Us comes on, and I can just feel the tears ready to fall. So many emotions. It has a wonderful cast, which has been nominated for Best Ensemble by the Screen Actors Guild, and the show is up for Best Drama at the Golden Globes. Sterling K. Brown did win an Emmy uh, for his performance in Season 1. Season 2, oh, by the way, you can catch up on Season 1 on Netflix. Season 2 continues Tuesday, January 9th. And with the opposite of normal human feelings, the most pleasant return this year went to Larry David and Curb Your Enthusiasm, my number five. You are devoid of anything that's remotely caring or empathetic. Shut up. That is a great compliment. You don't come to work for two days because you were constipated? Yeah, luckily it was only two days. People do things constipated. Come on, I saw a porno constipated. I ran a 5K marathon constipated. I was in a hot dog eating contest constipated. And I still f***ing won. I mean, come on, it's Curb. It's basically Seinfeld, and that's the greatest show of all time. And even after a six-year hiatus, most of us, you know, didn't really think we'd ever see it again, but Larry came back and brought his exhausting views on society, life, and every little thing that could ever happen to a person throughout their day with him. None of it was particularly groundbreaking or fresh, but it was funny. And in Larry David's world, that's all that matters. Frankly, the bulk of the cast in this show are, at this point, either senior citizens or not too far from it, so it's pretty impressive that it was perhaps the most anticipated show of the year, that wasn't Twin Peaks. Never one to shy away from hot-button topics. The arc of the season mostly had to do with Larry angering all of the Muslim world and having a fatwa declared against him. Only Larry would think of that, and only Curb would make a whole season out of it. Yeah, it was brilliant. I loved it, and Curb Your Enthusiasm will return for a tenth season production on the new season set to begin next spring. Nice! That's incredible. <laughs> I can't believe they're already moving ahead with a tenth season. They're not getting younger. Yeah, they gotta, know, they gotta do it. They gotta make the money while they still can. Funkhauser looked like he has had one foot in the grave from the jump on that show already. Yeah, he. Uh, I think that's actually part of his charm. Oh, even when he speaks, he, he just sounds like, what's happening to me? I feel like I'm dying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number five for me, a show starring Sawyer from Lost oh. and Lori from The Walking Dead. It's called Colony. 
I don't know what's waiting for me on the other side of the wall. The rest of your life. Remember, we are always watching. Colony, season two, aired earlier this year. It is an excellent drama that happens to be set in an alien invasion. The show comes from executive producer Carlton Cuse, who helped create Lost. It hails from the USA Network and airs in Canada on Bravo. It's about a family in Los Angeles struggling to adapt and survive the New World Order, which has seen aliens arrive and colonize their city. Some humans are working with the aliens. Others have formed a resistance. And the show is described by some critics as the most relevant and timely show on TV about a dystopian, oppressive regime. Season 1 is on Netflix. Season 2, I believe, is coming in the first couple of weeks of January. No start date yet for Season 3. But the first two seasons debuted in January 2016 and 2017, so hopefully it's coming really soon. We'll continue to count down our favorite television shows of 2017, including a great comedy that we both adore. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We are counting down our favorite shows of 2017, 10 apiece with a little bit of overlap, but we're still going to do 10 each. And we'd just like to remind everybody that with about, I don't know, 500 shows that are written and produced th- this year. <laughs> we haven't seen all of them. We've seen almost 10% of them probably, maybe a little bit more than that. So there, if our your favorite show is not on our list, you know what, hit us up on Twitter, tell us what it is, CouchPotatoes68 on Twitter. Uh, we're down to the fours, and number four on my list, one of the funniest network sitcoms on TV right now, and it can be also oddly touching. I'm talking about Brooklyn Nine-Nine. You see, Jake, I'm always going to be one step ahead of you. You've lost the ability to surprise me. You're just plain boring. Again, weird take on our very loving relationship. And it's midnight, so I guess I'm an amazing human slash genius. Yeah. Although, you might want to read the inscription on that there belt. Why? Oh, no. What does it say? Amy Santiago, will you marry me? Surprise. It's grown into itself so nicely over the years that every week I know it's just going to kill. And when a show gets to be five years in, they usually have built a little universe that gives them so many more comedic opportunities than new shows. Brooklyn Nine-Nine can pair up any two of the eight lead characters. Hitchcock and Scully count as one. And it'll be comedy gold guaranteed. They also have their traditions like the annual Pontiac Bandit episode or the annual Halloween heist episode that are fun to revisit every year. And that sort of thing adds to the coziness of the show as of the fact, you know, we've been visiting this world for a while now. It is a comforting place to go every week. It is also always hilarious and haven't even mentioned Holt yet. If Andre Brower, who already has many Emmys, doesn't win an Emmy for this one day, that'll be a shame. And then there was a genuine touching moment in the Halloween episode this year that we just heard there. No one was suspecting it. A surprise engagement that probably even made some people almost cry. But when you look at how this show and these characters have grown over the years, it shouldn't have surprised us as much as it surprised Amy. Number four of my favorite shows of 2017. It's another one from Carlton Cuse, the fifth and final season of Bates Motel. I made all this up. I made you up. Stop it, mother, stop it! Buckle your seatbelt, Norman. When I first heard A&E was doing a prequel series based on Psycho, I thought, geez, do we really need that? But I watched it, and I discovered a show with two wonderful lead actors. Vera Farmiga as Norma Bates and Freddie Highmore as Norman Bates. The same Freddie Highmore now enjoying great success 
on the ABC drama The Good Doctor. Bates Motel is not meant to be a direct prequel for the movie. It is inspired by the movie and inspired by the book the film is based on. So, when season five at last intersects with the events in the movie, the story goes in unexpected directions. Marion Crane, by the way, is played by Rihanna. Ultimately, this season was a showcase for its two lead actors to just chew the scenery and show that Norman's story is actually a tragic one. He was a good young man who had a dark side that he simply was unable to control because his mother was too protective of him to let him get the help he needed. And she ended up forging a rather unhealthy and quite frankly inappropriate and creaky or creepy relationship with her son. The first four seasons are on Netflix. Season five will hopefully be there soon. Number three on my list goes to The Handmaid's Tale. I was asleep before. That's how we let it happen. When they slaughtered Congress, we didn't wake up. When they blamed terrorists and suspended the Constitution, we didn't wake up then either. Now I'm awake. The Handmaid's Tale is one of the best sci-fi stories I've ever seen. Like all the great sci-fi, it does. It's because it's you know it doesn't only focus on the sci-fi. It's barely sci-fi. If your high concept is the only thing your story is going for, it will fail regardless of how good that premise is. Canadian author Margaret Atwood and the TV people behind The Handmaid's Tale know this, and so while they paint a very vivid picture of a world gone insane, it's about the characters and their journeys. We get pieces of what this dystopic society is like, drolled out in dribs and drabs via context, mostly through. Throughout the season. In lesser hands, they would do a big info dump speech at the beginning, which would be boring to sit through and take away a lot of the fun of the reveals throughout the season. That's the sort of thing that separates the good from the truly great in the storytelling world, and this is pretty perfect all the way through. They tore through everything in Atwood's book, and now the show will be back for a second season. That might be a recipe for trouble having no more source material, but the people on the show know what they're doing. It was hard to watch some of the turmoil that Elizabeth Moss went through, but I guess I can't wait to see more. I can't wait for more either. This uh, is another Couch Potatoes co-joint in the yeah. top 20. We both love this show. I think we plowed through it the same week, uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> Nine months after everyone else saw it. <laughs> Better late than never. And now we'll be able to watch it when it actually debuts because it's it hails, uh, from Hulu in the US and it aired on Bravo, uh, Bravo in yeah. Canada. So, uh, But you can catch up on season one on Crave TV, which is what I did. This next show for me, my number three was actually ranked number one when I did my mid-year countdown when Jeff was on vacay. It's Planet Earth 2. The follow-up to the world-famous nature documentary series from 2006, which was narrated by Sir David Attenborough. He's also the narrator for the sequel, which used the latest and greatest 4K camera technology to get us closer to animals than ever before, truly breathtaking footage. It first aired across the Atlantic last fall in 2016. It debuted in Canada and the U.S. on BBC Earth on Saturday, February 18th. And never have I looked so forward to having nothing to do on Saturday nights than stay home and watch TV because this series had me transfixed like perhaps no other series ever has. For example, the first episode titled Islands has this terrifying chase sequence of a baby iguana trying to run through a gauntlet of snakes to make it to shore. A snake's eyes aren't very good, but they can detect movement. So if the hatchling keeps its nerve, it may just avoid detection.
It was insanity. I found myself watching this footage and kept saying, this can't be real. How did they get so close to all of these animals? And over the six episodes and the bonus seventh episode, which was a making of, this documentary shows you the beauty and horror of nature, as well as the effect we're having on our planet, without getting too preachy. And again, the theme music, the score from Hans Zimmer is something else. There's even this part where they film way up uh, high in the Andes Mountains and they find this flock of flamingos who decide to hang out in this pond that gets so cold every night that it freezes with the flamingo legs trapped in the ice and they have to wait until it warms up before they can break free and it ends up being hilarious and beautiful and just the whole series is inspiring. If you've not seen it, get your hands on it. You can watch it on Netflix. It's also available on 4K Blu-ray. Yeah, Planet Earth 2 would have been on my list as well, and that Flamingo thing is probably the weirdest thing I saw on TV all year. Number two on my list goes to a fairly new comedy called The Good Place. Tahani, what do you value about Jason? Well, he's thoughtful, picks flowers and brings them to me. Often they're ones I've just planted, but... That's how I know they're fresh. <laughs> Holy cow, everything I said about Brooklyn Nine-Nine and how it's developed over five years, but compacted into one and a half seasons at the beginning which was only 15 months ago. The Good Place was interesting and insanely clever, but it wasn't terribly funny. It was a little cold. Now it's consistently hilarious, like laugh-out-loud hilarious, and I care about everybody in it. I even care about Ted Danson's character, and I'm not sure if I should care about Ted Danson's character. If you've never seen it, you have to catch up. Season 1 is on Netflix. It's about a group of people led by Kristen Bell who have died and have gone to The Good Place, which is run by an angel named Michael, played by Ted Danson. The problem is, Bell knows she doesn't belong there. They mixed up her file with someone else's, and so she's posing as that person to keep from being sent to the bad place. That's how it began. Saying it out loud feels like that was forever ago. It is highly serialized and blowing through plot at lightning speed, so I'm not sure how much longer they can or should try to keep it up. I think I read that they're only planning a maximum of four 13-episode seasons, which is probably a good idea. So that uh, returns on January 4th yeah. on Global, and I'm just checking to see here if that's available on demand as well, maybe if you, in case you missed uh, the first part of season two. Remember last year when they did their uh, their winter finale with like three episodes left in the first season? Yep. So they at least they, they kind of did it better where they Seven cut it Seven and six half. kind of thing. Yeah. It uh, doesn't look like it's available on demand, but you might be able to get it on Global TV's website or their Global Go app. Uh, so yeah, The Good Place, that's a show that I also really, really like. Season one, the big reveal in season one. Oh my God. Yeah. Up next, we'll give you my second favorite show of 2017. And then of course, our favorite shows. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry. Jeff Braun, we are the Couch Potatoes doing one of our year-end specials, counting down our favorite 20 shows of 2017. And at number two, I've got a show that I'm, I'm cheating here. It's not from the year 2017. It's actually all the way back from 2015, but I didn't watch it until this year, didn't hear about it until this year. And so, hey, this is the Couch Potatoes. I'm one of the Couch Potatoes. We can do whatever we want here. It's a show from Iceland. It's on Netflix. It's called Trapped. What a wonderful language. That's one of the big reasons why I actually enjoyed this show so much. Just getting to listen to them speak Icelandic. It's a lyrical, whimsical language. Trapped is set in a tiny little harbor town at the end of a fjord in East Iceland. So it's got water and mountains all around, and it is just 
gorgeous. One of the most beautiful shows I have ever watched. And it felt relatable. I guess being from Canada, watching a show set in a harsh winter environment was familiar. It's a murder mystery. A fishing boat hauls in a body, at least part of a body, just as a big ferry is pulling in. And not long after the body is found and the ferry docks, a massive storm rolls along and cuts off the town from the rest of the world. It's an intense, claustrophobic mystery, and again, the Icelandic! Do you have any idea? Hello? What is going on in your little town? Oh yeah, there is some English, too. This little town has the, a tiny police force of only three people who have to deal with this murder mystery that leads to some rather dark secrets. I put this show so high on my list, and I actually bumped it. It was number two at the mid-year, but I put it ahead of uh, Planet Earth. To I put it so high because it's the show this year that kind of made me realize it's time to cut some other shows loose. I've spoken before about how much TV I watch. Last year was 65 shows, I think, uh, throughout the year 2016. I watch way too much TV, so if I'm going to watch that much TV, it had better be really good. So I let some shows go. Seven shows, in fact. Shows like The Blacklist, which were letting me down after a few seasons. I let go of the entire CW family of superhero shows. They're all fun, but ultimately kind of hollow. So I just want to watch better television. Trapped, great show from Iceland. Check it out on Netflix. One season on Netflix? Just one, and is there, there will more be a, coming? There is a second season coming, I believe, late 2018 or maybe early 2019. Oh, they are not in any rush to pump stuff out. Europeans, they're it's just... The Icelandic a, way. They're relaxed over there. That's all right, because uh, my, it is on my list. It is very... It might be the first thing on my list at this point. Cool. And I do want to get to it, but yeah, it's nice to know at least I got some cushion if it takes me a while to get to it. <laughs> yeah, no rush. My favorite show of 2017 and my favorite show since Breaking Bad, it's called The Leftovers. What will happen on October 14th, just a couple of weeks from now? Probably nothing. But if something does happen on October 14th, you've all come to the right place. On the seventh anniversary of the sudden departure, the rains will come, and with them, a great flood. I'm not Jesus. I'm not saying you are, but uh, the beard looks good on you. The third and final season of The Leftovers did not disappoint. The HBO drama, well, technically it's sci-fi, began with 2% of the world's population vanishing into thin air without explanation. The show was about the other 98%, The Leftovers, trying to come to terms with what had happened. We've been following the Garveys this whole time and their friends and neighbors. There's been a lot of anger and sadness as it seems the sudden departure really messed with their heads, although a lot of their heads were pretty messed up to begin with. Mostly, the final season moved toward possibly answering some questions about the sudden departure, thanks to, of all people, Mark Lynn Baker of Perfect Strangers fame. And mostly it had us wondering whether tragic sad couple Kevin Garvey, played by Justin Theroux, and Nora Dunn, played by Kerry Coon, would ever find any sort of happiness in their lives. They went to Australia to try to find it. It involved the world's most bizarre ferry ride in history. A French submariner did the most unthinkable thing a person could do on their own. Some old ladies drowned a man to see if he was Jesus, and God may or may not have literally shown up. Then there was the finale, which was pitch perfect. Damon Lindelof ran this show, and you would think the grief he got from his lost finale would have scared him straight when it came to finales, 
but it didn't. He swung for the fences. He took a handful of risks that could have sunk the whole thing, and he hit a home run. It was the best show on TV in a long time, and I'm definitely going to miss the leftovers. You know, I've been listening to you uh, talk about how excellent this show is yep. for three years, yep. and uh, I am—I uh, do subscribe to HBO, so I can pull. I'm just looking at my phone. I see on Shaw Video on Demand. I Buddy, can watch it. Uh, I got the Blu-rays, man. You can have it. Oh, you got you them want. on Blu-ray. Of oh, course yeah. you do. All right. Well, maybe one day. Maybe one day. <laughs> and you know what? Coming in at number one for me, another HBO show. So HBO wins the day from the couch potatoes. It wasn't on my mid-year top ten. But that's because it didn't debut until July 16th. There was never any doubt this would top my list. There's only one war that matters, and it is here. Game of Thrones. Never have I obsessed about anything like I did the seventh season of HBO's global smash hit based on George R.R. R. Martin's books. The best way I can describe Game of Thrones it's a fantasy medieval soap opera. Various factions at war over who gets to sit on the Iron Throne and rule the land. But there are also dragons, and there's an army of zombies who will kill everyone if the living don't put their squabbles aside. The show is well past where the books are at and where the TV show is gone. Many fans are not pleased. I heard countless complaints about the show doing things just for fan service. I heard countless complaints about time passing too quickly in the show, which was a necessary evil given the shortened seven-episode season versus its usual ten episodes. Those things didn't bother me. Yeah, they did some dumb things this season. The sixth episode, entitled Beyond the Wall, was thrilling but completely idiotic. Still don't care. It's my favorite show of all time. Can't wait for season eight, which will be a shortened six-episode season, but it'll be jam-packed with visual effects because all the battles are coming to a head. Sadly, it doesn't look like it will debut until 2019. So Gives you a time to watch The Leftovers. That's a good point. <laughs> and uh, just within the 20 seconds we have left here, Westworld, which has taken this yeah. year off, makes its debut in 2018. Right on. I'm looking forward to that. Next week, we'll count down our favorite movies of 2017. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.